I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, effervescent, clairvoyant episode of Normandy FM. Kenneth Shepard, I'm I'm happy today. You know why I'm happy? Why are you happy? I, Eric Van Allen, am very happy because I played through Citadel DLC over the weekend. You did? Uh, and I was there the whole time. You were there the whole time. You were a trooper. You stuck it out. I think you and my brother were the only ones who stuck around the entire time, uh, creeping in that chat, mm. hanging around. My brother did not chat. He's not a Twitch chatter. He's a Twitch observer, and I respect mm. him for that for, because for. it's the right way to do things, really, in the scheme of the planet. It's the better way to do things. Um, Generally, I hide a Twitch chat, but this time I, I had to be there to guide you through the Citadel experience. Of course. And, and so I will say, I'm not going to like spoil everything. You know, we do have our Citadel episode that will be taking place later on in the season, but I will say that it did definitely live up to a lot of what people were saying about it. Um, it was definitely... Part of it was the thing that I was expecting, which was the party and all that. I knew that was coming. I did not realize at the time that there was a whole other story thing that happens leading up to that, which was kind of bizarre. And we'll get we'll get to that. Like, I'm not going to, again, I'm trying real hard to not just, like, dive into it right now while it's still fresh. But uh, that thing was a lot larger than I think I had any, like, preconceived notion of what it was going to be like it's definitely mm. probably the largest dlc for mass effect mm. um probably it's not quite expensive too it was the most oh was it like a 20 dollar or 25 i want to say it was like 20 dollars because i remember being surprised by it because like in terms of actual download size it's like twice as much too so well and you think about it there's so much in that thing that i did not even realize was in mass effect 3 like when you get to the part where you have the combat arena and i was flipping around and i saw that it's like oh select your squad mates and i saw i could scroll all the way to the right and there mm-hmm. were like all those characters from all the previous mass effects in there and it was like oh okay so yep. yeah i never knew that that's like that was in there that's a little oh, it was, wild to me it was 14.99 wow okay yeah. that's a that's a bargain (laughs) um yeah so i really enjoyed it i look forward to us having our discussion on that because i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about uh it actively like actively made me want to start like two new playthroughs of mass effect just to see how certain scenes and stuff turn out i mean possibly even three new playthroughs of mass effect because I wanted to see how all the different romance options panned out mm. and how they were different and things like that. Uh, not to say that the Liara stuff was not good. It was still very good. But uh, 
that was yeah it, it was all very very good and it was it was nice seeing all those characters again it ends on a very fitting note that's almost like bioware going like yep this is it that's the end <laughs> like uh almost like retroactively rewriting what the ending of that game was uh but we will we will get to that do not worry dear listener today we do have other crewmate like in a similar vein we have other companion stuff to get up to because uh we're having another one of our citadel uh we call them our citadel missions our like side mission missions uh our little episodes where we do all the accelerated stuff that just does not fit neatly into other episodes for us to talk about uh so all the stuff that is is basically side side things the loose uh, ends loose ends yeah and some of this uh as i've been learning through playing things like citadel i might have missed a little bit uh definitely well so we don't talk about cortez today that was one of the ones where i was like oh i have not finished the cortez plotline and that's why none of his stuff is showing up uh and i was trying to remember ken you might remember enough about this to help me out here how much tally stuff is in there as far as like additional scenes for you to like hang out with her and talk with her and stuff because i feel like after ranok there's really nothing yeah it's she is one of the characters that kind of falls to the wayside after she's done her big goddamn hero moment um because like the only like two more like real conversations with her mm-hmm. i mean like yeah like you know the sort of the um the asides that you can have where you kind of can talk to her about what's going on and if you go down there during engineering, there's a lot of banter with her and Garrus on the comms. But other than that, you're kind of done with a lot of tally stuff by the time you finish Renault. It was kind of surprising to me because it, it felt like she took kind of a Legion role. Uh, like Legion was in Mass Effect 2 where they come in very late. You feel like you don't get as much of the character breakdown as you would like. Um, again, like I, I've been following along with Giant Bomb's playthrough of the Mass Effect series. They just got to the part where they recruit Legion, and they made the comment. It was the same I think I had when we recruited Legion in our playthrough um, here on Normandy FM. That you get this really interesting character, but you get him so late in the game that you just end up going like i wish i had more time to like hang out with this character and that's kind of how i ended up feeling with tally by this point even before i had played citadel or anything like that um that i was like wow tally is really kind of fallen by the wayside at this point uh especially compared to other characters who are taking a much greater center stage like one james vega uh jimmy vega jimmy vega as his friends nobody calls him nobody calls him that Gareth called him it once. He called him. He called him Jimmy once. He called him Jimmy. He tried to nickname the nickname a fire. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, somebody does. Somebody's got to give him a taste of his own medicine. That's what I've always said. <laughs> so James, <laughs> we uh, we stumble upon James getting a, a very sanitary tattoo in a very secluded uh, place where no germs could possibly fly into the open wounds being injected into him by the ink gun. Uh, Literally totally... right next to like a sort like, of like clinic thing happening. Yeah, yeah. There's like, like a th- clinic there, over there. <laughs> there's a thick ass batarian right over there, and you're just getting your skin poked with and, a and sharp needle. Like, who knows what batarian illness means for human people? Like, even human diseases that come from other continents can really mess us up. And now we're like getting into the idea of like 
interspecies <laughs> disease. That doesn't sound good. So, yeah, that's a little questionable. But uh, he's getting a tattoo of the N7 logo, uh, mm. I believe. We, we, mm-hmm. This is where we stumble upon him. We don't see it completed until later, but he's getting it done at this point, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... Uh, you, you can kind of you know encourage him or discourage him a little bit um you can kind of be like happy about it or just kind of be like that's kind of weird uh and i i have expressed my dislike of one mr vega uh on this podcast before especially that this is the part where femship can confront vega a little bit and um kind of call him out on it on, on his flirtation and his nicknameification, because you can kind of call his bluff a little bit, and he's like, "Whoa, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just messing around. I'm not really just doing." He like he's a little boy about it, um, which was almost endearing in a way, and uh, it was still definitely like, "Dude, you know, like, come on, you got to treat me like a superior." But I think at this point, and I said it during the Citadel stream as well, the I think the relationship that kind of blossoms between a femship and uh vega ends up largely being like big sister little brother and uh mm-hmm. and much like a real life little brother they are always kind of you know they're they're the punk kid they're trying to you know mess around and do stuff but they then secretly end up like looking up to you and uh they have that like little brother syndrome of they just want to like make you proud and stuff like that there's mm-hmm. any, anybody who has been a little brother or or an older sibling or whatever understands that dynamic a little bit so mm-hmm. um it's it's kind of interesting to see that play out because in a way he this is like the most humble i feel that that he has been in the entire game where he's not right. just kind of peacocking and flexing and stuff like that he's definitely like this means a lot to me. I want to do it. I want to do it right. You know, like my duty means a lot to me. My, uh, my career path means a lot to me being N seven means something. I want to make sure that I do right by it. Um, and so getting the tattoo is kind of the solidification of that. So in that way is like, I definitely started to see him as more of a mature character. And while I'm still not mm-hmm. like totally down with some of his antics and stuff, I kind of, let me put it this way were he a real person i would have questioned why cortez hung out with him all the time until this part and then i'd be like okay i get it like i see why cortez is like a good friend with you and stuff like that like i see the qualities that make you a good friend um Mm. and could even result in me being a good friend with you someday to get (laughs) a little bit more of your act together but um and and i feel like they write him better later on in other scenes that happen later on oh man i'm really looking forward to talking about some of those citadel scenes if you can't tell Mm. um but i wanted to hear what your thoughts were because that's like my approach from like the femship stuff i wanted to hear how you kind of feel about vega at this point because this is kind of the end of his line of uh events so i I mean as a person that only plays male shepherd i follow your line of thinking on a lot of that stuff that you know there is this sort of mentor student sort of dynamic happening there my what okay so i I do have one question for you Mm -hmm. Uh, assuming that you were like in the liara relationship at this point did you have to have that sort of exchange about like are you ever gonna make good on this flirting 
No, I did not have to have that exchange, but I do. I think there is an option to like call him out on it just to say like, hey, why are you always? Because I, w- I want to say that's like I had an option that was like not the hey, are you ever going to make good where you actually like kind of one up him on his game. And maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe this is like a YouTube video that I watched to like get caught up for this. I'm misremembering it with my own playthrough. But um, I want to say there's like a platonic way of just saying like, hey, you know, like what's up with all this flirtation? You still get like kind of the same answer out of it where he's, you know, you, you call this bluff and he kind of backs down a little bit. Um, but I'd have to I'd have to double check my own notes and, and YouTube and stuff like that to, to double check that. Okay. But I, I mean, even... When you are romancing Liara, he still like acknowledges that in some of the conversations and stuff like all the other squad mates do. So, in some ways, that does make it kind of weird. Uh, yeah, because my... you're like obviously dating someone and all that. Yeah, and also dating a woman. Like that's that's the thing that stuck out to me. Dating is like I don't know. Woman. Like I don't know the furthest thing from James. The sort of yeah. <laughs> the, the the Venn diagram is two separate circles. Yeah. The I don't like I mean I would need to know like the nuts and bolts of how these the James flirting works because at a certain point like say it's not even just that you're dating Liara like what if you're dating Trainer? What if you what if you're you have zero taste and you're dating Kelly Chambers? Like <laughs> and, like does this man hit on this lesbian woman probably. regardless? Like that I mean, he's still that's, flirted with me regardless, so that's probably like a, a hindsight thing. Like if somebody, if I were like thought about it, like, oh, maybe there should have been more things in check to make sure James doesn't like end up seeming predatory towards a woman that is absolutely not interested in him in that way. Yeah. It's another case where I think Dragon Age did that stuff a lot better, especially by the time Inquisition rolled around, because I remember Inquisition being very, very good about that. Like immediately setting up, you know, like what kind of character you were intending to play and and what characters you were intending to romance and what kind of characters your uh inquisitor was generally attracted to and things like that i felt like that was a much more natural process than here in mass effect where they kind of went the dragon age 2 route of you know there's romance abound for everyone and you know there's there are obviously like tons of different romance plot lines that could have been playing out by this point that you could be involved in. I mean, we've talked a lot about the major ones, like, you know, um, Caden and Liara and at, well, I mean, we've talked about Ashley, maybe not necessarily the, the romance for Ashley, but you know, those are like the big mass effect one ones that ported all the way forward. But then you've got Garrus and Tally and Jack and Miranda and, uh, Chambers and trainer and Cortez. Like there's a lot of romance in this game. And, the idea that by this point, you know, they just needed to have a little few more of those checks in there to like deal with that sort of stuff is definitely present. It's just sort of like the, what the difference between like Inquisition and this is that if a character flirts with you, you have the option to tell them no and they stop. James Vega, it's like this quintessential part of his relationship with a female shepherd is that he's constantly flirting with her regard like obviously like there's not gonna be like a straight up like a are you is your character a lesbian is your character mm-hmm. gay like that kind of like concrete of a check but at least there should be an option at the very beginning to be like hey don't do that and then they stop yeah and, having and maybe that's like a constraint of the the dialogue system that it just wants to sort into either paragon renegade or 
Paragon normal, Renegade normal, neutral. Like that's right. that's kind of been the Mass Effect paradigm for a long time. So, right. and so my other takeaway beyond that is that so I mean you might need to bring up the Mass Effect wiki, like the romance actual page for this to kind of get the complete visual of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But so okay, James is more or less like the male lead of Mass Effect Three, sort of just by the fact that he's like the one of the only characters that is definitively there like you can't he can't die in a previous game he can't die until like the very very end of the game uh-huh. and you know the point that's the point where anybody can die just from being in the wrong place at the wrong time so an interesting thing to note is that if you are playing a female shepherd and mm-hmm. you left Caden on Vermeer and you didn't romance Garrus you don't end Mass Effect 3 with any possible heterosexual relationships because James Vega is a Citadel romance, yeah, it considered like a, Citadel a Citadel romance, romance yeah. Which, yeah, which isn't technically like official. You don't get like you don't get an achievement for uh, it. You don't get a sort of. Are you talking about explicitly by the end of Mass Effect Three? Because we right. did have another character who has sadly passed away. <laughs> like, yeah, Thane Thane passes, so like that's you know it can't go anywhere. And then Jacob does what he does, which is a whole another thing we'll get to later in this episode. So. It's such a, it's a very loaded thing when you come, like, you actually get around to thinking about it. Just, like, I can get mad about the way that it seems like, you know, for the longest time, Mass Effect didn't like gay men, but now it's sort of, like, backing women into a certain corner. Because, like, Liara and Trainer are there no matter what. And so... Mass Effect is secretly converting all women into bisexual women. (laughs) I don't know. It's, like... That's that's what's happening. (laughs) it's, It's just, like, a... I wish that there had been more care at like at the very end like at, you know you get to the end of the game you kind of see the larger journey that a character has been on and you you know how important like romance is to to a lot of people that play yeah. these games and like at least like have a reasonable like situation where your character is not going to end up either alone or sort of cornered into one thing or the other I think by that logic, though, you have to ask yourself, okay, if you're trying to... Let's let's assume that you are playing a female character, a female shepherd, and you want to have a heterosexual relationship that will last the duration of Mass Effect. You leave Caden on Vermeer, who is the only heterosexual option for a female shepherd in Mass Effect 1. So, that's shot. Um, Jacob obviously does not carry forward. Um... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really the options are already leaving by the time you get to Mass Effect 2, because even then, you know, Mass Effect 1 did not have a lot of romance options, but Mass Effect 2 is not that much better either. I mean, really, when you look at this list, like, I'm looking at the list of all the romance options that you have by the time Mass Effect 3 rolls around, and I count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, if we're counting Citadel DLC, uh, female characters and one two three four male characters and yep. of those male characters one is exclusively gay two are exclusively heterosexual and one dies uh, does not grant the paramour achievement and one is bisexual and can be dead i mean a lot of these a lot of these characters can be dead yeah. uh i mean there is like of all the characters here let's say you have like the most abysmal suicide mission run you'll still have ashley steve trainer 
uh, Caden, you know, whichever one of those two you picked, uh, Liara, Diana, Allers, which we have to remember that Diana Allers is one of the options, and that doesn't really count either because that's just, like, a side weird thing. So, like, as much as people... It's funny because I think people talk about Mass Effect romance a lot and and really, like, reflect on it fondly. I think part of that is really more just about how good the characters are rather than how good the romance ever was. That might be, like, my hottest take that I have coming out of Mass Effect. I think that's a... I think it's a case-by-case basis. Because I will 100% say, at the point that I'm at, as much as I like Liara... Maybe it's just because I've always romanced Liara, or maybe it's because the things I find interesting in a romance at this point are just different in my life than they were when I first played these games. I was kind of bored with the Liara romance stuff by this point. <laughs> like mm. it was it was good but not great. And maybe that was because I'd seen it. A lot of it was because I'd seen it all before. And so that stuff, whenever I went to it, I was like, okay, I know what scene is coming up. There there was no surprise left. And that maybe like really hit me when I was playing through Leviathan and Citadel was I was going like, okay, I've never seen this stuff before. This is all really cool. But then a lot of the characters that get the really cool, interesting new stuff in these games tend to be some of these outlying characters that really get most of their development in three, like Jack, like Miranda, um, like Steve and Trainer. So like uh it's yeah, that's that's my hot take out of all this somehow I, spinning out of James Vega getting a tattoo. <laughs> well I mean I my like again, I I love the R too, but like I mean I personally never found her relationship as interesting as I found others. Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily a sort of, uh... I've never heard of, I mean, I don't think we've had anyone on the show that's really gone to bat for Liara's romance over other ones. Cause we've had people on here talking about how great Thane and Garrus and Tally and all that, like all those characters, but we've never had, I've always been the Liara defender on here. Right. Um, and I do still think it's a well-written romance, but there are just like aspects of it that are definitely like by the time you've played it a second time and a lot of the stuff in Mass Effect 3 is definitely not does not feel like they were really going to provide fan service for the Liara for the Liara stands out there <laughs> I think in comparison to a lot of stuff, the, the Liara relationships a little more vanilla than oh you yeah. know something like even you know, when it's, it's like even when it's femshep it still feels extremely vanilla in a way that's like wow you kind of just swapped the character models on this one didn't you mm. <laughs> like cause you got you got something like trainer that's very quirky you've got something like caden or cortez where like there's it's a very emotionally driven romance and then there's garris who's like this you know this very suave sweep shepherd off her feet kind of thing in the grand scheme of things, like as much as like they pushed Liara, just because it's the way that they went through the entire series of just really doubling down on that relationship, I feel like it got you know, like she has the best sex scene, sure, like but the actual like content of writing of her relationship is not necessarily as flavored as other ones. I actually thought it was a little bit better in Mass Effect One than anywhere else. Like I thought her stuff in Mass Effect One was very well done because you got the like, it, it was when you were still kind of learning about the Asari, so there was that kind of like oh, you know, Asari are, like, really different from humans, and that's interesting. But also, like, I felt like her character was more interesting in that respect because she was, like, this this character who you were both kind of, like, stumbling through new experiences, and it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But then in Mass Effect 2, she had that turn, and it was like, okay, now she's 
like by by reason of them not having her on the squad she's just kind of going to be over here and it's going to be heavily implied that like hey if you like go mess around with one of your squad mates one of your new companions it's going to be okay or whatever you know you can stay faithful in the relationship or you can like mess around with it and and then mass effect 3 i mean she kind of just ends up being a human squad mate because she's in like every scene and she's always there and always providing input and stuff like that but it didn't feel like she was a character character until you get to some of her like personal um alone time scenes which i guess could be said of other characters as well but even then like garris still feels like a character and and liara gets some good asides and stuff like that especially if you have the shadow broker dlc and all that but uh and something we're even going to talk about later and and like in this episode and the thessia stuff yes. like yeah you know, she, she has her moments she has, like this... she has good this is not no we're going to get to a thing at the end of this episode that we're going to talk about and liara will still do fairly well on it but this is just maybe me going like Maybe not necessarily my opinion of Liara has changed, but but my opinion of romance in this game has significantly changed. And now, like, again, I feel like I've said it a million times during this podcast, I just want to go play Dragon Age now, because I feel like Dragon Age Inquisition did all of these systems so, so well. And and I'm seeing so much of that in hindsight now. And it is, like... Even, like, like I've been playing a little bit of Andromeda, because, like, I'm trying to plan for our next season. Like, I feel like Inquisition remains the point that Bioware, like, got all of that right in terms mm-hmm. of, like, balancing, like, options for everybody, making sure that each option was, like, as fleshed out as the other ones. Like, there wasn't a lot of, uh, sort of, you know... It's a really good variety like, of romance options in that game, too. Like, they... Yeah, like... The way they're, they're kind of... I know it sounds very mechanical and, like, distant to like just be like oh how are they divvied out what's the what's the spread on the the love interests and stuff but it felt like there were some really good choices there in terms of like you know you have one character who is literally only romanceable by this species and gender and that's that's it and like i think that's actually kind of an interesting choice but then they keep the number of options that you have throughout that entire game so open and yet you still feel like each one is very distinct for who you decide to play as and who you decide to romance. Like, it's it, it's a system that hides the fact that it's a system very, very well. And I think right. that's what I appreciate the most about it. Because uh, in Mass Effect, yeah. you definitely see the wheels turn more often than you'd like. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, let's move along to... <laughs> I won't do the voice, I promise. <laughs> We're I mean, it's probably your last chance. Uh, I, I did it already on the uh, on the Citadel stream, so uh, I, I got it out of my system. Also, my my throat. I, I, I don't know if I can do it today. So uh, we're gonna talk to Zaid, who I don't know if you knew this, Ken, but he once got shot in the face by a guy named Vito. <laughs> I believe that was something that somebody told me at one point. Yeah, it's it's, it's a thing. He's not really over. Um, so Zaid is a weird case. And this is maybe, I've been really looking forward to talking about this because this is maybe like the pinnacle of they hid companion content between something that sounded very benign because I just stumbled onto this mission. I did not mean to start it or anything. I had no intention of doing it. And this was actually the mission that made me realize like, oh, this was back here 
oh, maybe I should see if the Kasumi thing was like this too, because I haven't seen her yet, and she was a DLC character from Mass Effect 2, and that was how I found out I missed it. Uh, yeah, he's he just kind of shows up, and he's like holding someone hostage or something, and or like I I don't okay. even like it's it's like a weird blackmail situation, and then you end up just kind of walking into a room, and killing all the other bad guys, but not even killing them because you just kind of like see it all happen in the cutscene, and then Zayed's just like, "Nice seeing you around, Shepard. Maybe come talk to me when I'm down in the refugee place." And then you like go talk to him. And he's like, "Yeah, sure, I'll fight for the war." And like it's. It's a bizarre, bizarre mission because yeah, like like you know in your in your notes here, like you don't expect Zaid to get, uh, you know, like top billing compared to some of the other characters from Mass Effect Two, especially considering the fact that he is a DLC. But it's still like a really weird way that they just kind of like slide him in and are like, oh yeah, I guess we should have something for Zaid here and maybe he can be like a war asset or something. It's yeah, a it, really strange mission. The weird thing like in comparison comparing to the Kasumi mission is like it very much feels like this mission was already made and then they just put Zaid in it. Like yep. they yep. and like granted, Zaid's presence like does change things because like you what it ends up being is that you got this Volus, I think he's an ambassador, mm-hmm. and he's I think you told Cerberus about, a, like, a vulnerable Turian colony, and he basically tries to bargain with Shepard, like, I'll tell you the colony, uh, or, like, I, I I won't tell you the colony so I don't get, you know, messed up by Cerberus, or whoever it was he was talking to, um, but I'll give you, like, the Volus bo- bombing fleet. And if you have Zaid, you don't have to make the choice, and, like, he just, Zaid threatens him, and then you save the colony and you get the, the fleet... So in an event that we, you don't have Zaid, like you didn't have him in two, like he died, or you didn't download him in the first place, then you have to make the choice. Uh, so another thing to note is if you don't have Zaid's loyalty, he dies in this mission. Wait, he just dies? Like, I don't, like it happens, well, not like not his, his death doesn't happen on screen, but like whatever mortally wounded him happens off screen. It's like you get in the room and he's like on the ground, like, you know, in the standard Mass Effect, like dying pose and, you know, sitting in blood. And he's like, ah, Vito! And so... Vito, shot me in the face. <laughs> so... <resist. laughs> I, like, I don't even... It's a weird thing, because, like, Kasumi, at least, like, she was integral to her mission. Like, it was happening because of her. Yeah. Like, it still happens, but, like, they, the setup is altered just slightly to where Kasumi actually plays an integral part in what's happening, and her presence prevents you from having to make a hard choice. And you you get everything out of that possible mission. I don't know. It's like I again like Zaid was a free DLC character, but I expect like I would have thought that Bioware liked him enough to like give him his due, all things considered. Because like I mean, we kind of make fun of him on the show, but like for all of that, like they... he's not the worst character. He's he's fine. And, like, when he does get, like, good moments of writing, like, it, it's clear that somebody that wrote him gave a shit. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, like, again, in Citadel, he has some surprisingly good moments where I was like, okay, like, you're kind of all right, Zaid. And then he, like, goes a little bit too far and you're like, okay, reel it back in there, Zaid. <laughs> and then when you, Walking when you go see him... Walking a thin line here. <laughs> when you go see him later at, at the uh, the refugee stuff... You don't even get a cutscene. You get, like, the Mass Effect 2, like, he talks 
at you yep. thing, and I just like. I mean, I. They didn't I, even. I, I wonder. Cutscene for him. There's like. Like I wonder what the fraction of people that actually saw Zaid Kasumi was because like not like that. Both means you had to have had the DLC and they had to have survived. Like I just. It's not hard to get Zaid to survive the suicide mission though, because he has such a high combat rating. Yeah. Like Kasumi's yeah. the one that usually dies. Um, whereas I think Zaid. Zaid and Grunt are pretty hard to kill off. Um, yeah. All those, and like, Kasumi was one you had to pay characters. for. Like, Kasumi was yeah. one that cost money. So, like, maybe that's another reason that she, like, there was a little bit more work done for her mission. So, I don't know. They gotta put that it, work in. <laughs> Somebody's gonna be mad. Someone's favorite, the one Kasumi fan out there, the mega Kasumi fan. Super, <laughs> super loves hearing her talk about things that are happening elsewhere on the ship in non-cutscene dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> um hey it's better than walking into zaid's room and just having him talk to you about how much he loves his rifle um which is just always like... weird yeah no zaid it, it is like a thing where you could tell there was one writer there was one like probably like intern somewhere that really liked zaid and also had an idea of what to do with him that would make him an interesting character and they got their like one or two shots at doing that and then the rest of it was just like, okay, we need to put dialogue in here. So, like, we, you know, we have to put the glue in that ties all this mission stuff together. Which I know a lot of games writing is that, you know, it's not, it's not an easy gig. I, I totally understand that. But I just, I wish that Zayid had gotten just a little bit more love here. Like just a little bit. You know, it's, I think he, I think he deserves the love. He's had, he's had a hard life. You know, guys, it's been tough for him. He didn't Shot know. In the face. He didn't know. It by Vito. How would you by feel Vito. if you got shot in the face by Vito? <laughs> I'd probably be dead. I'd probably be getting some drinks with Chakwas. Oh! Uh, so I was surprised that you left this for the Citadel 2 thing, because this is like one of the first side missions I did. This was like, I did this as soon as I possibly could. Uh, it, more, so, it was more than just like it occurred to me that I didn't have it in the last one, so I was like, we should probably touch on this. It's, um, it's a nice scene. It, you know, I wouldn't say like a terribly like not a lot happens here. You just get some nice moments of like talking and reminiscing, and you, you do get to a little bit of you know why are you you know still on the Normandy? Like why you know you reminisce a lot, and she you really get that sense that yes, just as much as Joker and Garrus and Tali and everybody are are so much a part of the Normandy that. Like Chakwas has also been there through all of this, and I, she's just—I I like her character. She's a very underrated character in the Mass Effect mm. canon, especially like for the fact that she is like a human uh, crew member who you normally do not get a lot of time to interact with. Her, you know, her branching dialogue does not go does not run deep compared to other characters. But whenever you get these little moments, they are especially nice and. uh it's it's just nice remembering that like hey Chakwas is super cool and uh you know you've been through a lot together it's it's good to have mm. a, that nice little reminder of that yeah. bless the ship mom bless the ship mom and speaking of mothers <laughs> see I'm on a <laughs> on a roll here you're doing this well uh we also have a one more meetup with Samara because yeah by this point I I, I always lose track because. We have not done Thessia yet, but we have done the Ardak Yakshi Monastery, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
um on this show i mean yeah right yes i remember the episode where we did that um and you get this kind of moment here on the citadel where you get to talk to samara and kind of catch up if she survived the art yakshi monastery which she did in our playthrough because we're not monsters uh and this is like it's i I kept trying to like find the words to express um like the, the the tone of this because like and you note it here um she mentions that like all the justicars are dying like the there were very few left by the point you meet her in mass effect 2 and all of them are brushing off to the front lines to stop the reapers and she fears that there may not be any left and that like includes her uh because that's mm-hmm. what their code compels them to you know that is that is what they are meant to do and that like the idea that the entire order of just cars may die fighting the reapers and i think it's kind of the first time you hear samara talk about her own mortality in a way that is not flippant or apathetic because for so long you know like her thing was always oh you know my life's purpose is to fix the wrongs that i put into this world to you know make sure that my daughters are okay and then take down the one daughter that Mm. just was not going to stop uh and it's it's very somber but the whole time you never get a sense that she cares much for her life and what happens to it and so to hear her finally care about in the sense that it can mean the death of this code that she has given so much of her life towards it was kind of that moment where i was like oh right you know this is like i'm seeing samara almost be selfish or, or at least be like introspective in a way that like the you know things matter to her Mm. in a way that affects her and only her and not necessarily other people i mean it affects you know the fact that the just car code might go away but that's still a very personal thing for her and it was very again you know it's hard hard to find like the right word to describe it but it's a very different kind of somber than we're used to seeing from samara that i really enjoyed in this otherwise very I mean, it, it was another one of those catch-up dialogues that we're just going yeah. through here. Because a lot of these are very much like, you catch up and you talk about what's been going on, and they give you kind of an update, and you move on to the next thing. So it, it was still very much that, but that was like the one part that I really took out of it. Yeah, I mean, and to her credit on that front, like, she seems relatively at peace with it as well. Like, I mean, it mm-hmm. is, you know, there is like a sense of selfishness to it, or more like a self, self-awareness self doesn't really, I don't know if that really captures it, but it's more like, like I said, an awareness of her own mortality, but you know, like she again, it's like one of the things that she seems at peace with because, like, she I guess that comes probably with like her code, like, you have to be at peace with sort of you have to be very matter of fact, I guess, and mm-hmm. seeing things in black and white. But, um, one thing that was that it was interesting was so at the very end of Mass Effect 2, like the very last conversation I had with her, if you're if you skew more towards Renegade, she'll make a comment of like. Uh, you've done things that would compel me to kill you if I wasn't under your command. And I've seen on YouTube that she points that out at this conversation if you, again, are more renegade. But I think it might it might be tied to, like, specific uh, decisions or something because she is never... She, like, she's never greeted me as anything other than a friend. And, yeah, I, I do more Paragon in Mass Effect 3 than I do in any other game. But I still, like, have, like, a solid 60, 40 split between Renegade and Paragon. So, 60, I don't know, 40. maybe... 
I'm just enjoying that because you like freaked out when you saw my paragon ratio in my three. It was. It was like ninety-five to five percent. Yeah, yeah. You need to be more willing to smack somebody across the face. Look, it's it's only in the most dire circumstances do I go renegade. That's just, mm-hmm. that's how it works. Um, yeah, no, I've never seen that interaction obviously because I never played renegade all the way to mass effect 3 but uh that is kind of interesting i wonder like what the math is that results in that line of dialogue because it is like an interesting kind of like minor i wouldn't even say conflict like just kind of wrinkle between the two uh like i mean it it shapes a relationship in a way that you're not like not everybody's gonna be like some people have a different relationship with samara by the end and i think that's interesting mm -hmm. but like it Maybe it's, like, specific decisions, like if you, like, sabotage the genophage here or something like that. I don't know. I guess it's a good thing that we ended on good terms, then, because she was totally ready to shoot me down. Hmm. Well, you know who else likes to shoot people down? That was not as good as the last one. (laughs) He likes to shoot down romances, because guess what? He's got a There you go. You should. You should. Oh, you, there was one there. It was like, speaking of shooting down, <laughs> Jacob likes to shoot down Shepard. Uh, man, yeah. So, this Jacob one that we have, I actually, in the test stream leading up to the, um, leading up to us doing this little stream. So, I did like a test stream the night before where I just kind of played through a mission or two and, um, talked to some people just to make sure that the, the stream would hold up. And it didn't, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh i did do the jacob dialogue that that happens i probably redid it because i feel like i'd already done it but i think in this game if you stumble across that stuff a second time you can just kind of redo all the conversation options again uh which we will talk about in a moment with one of these but um yeah it's this it always feels this this jacob interaction always feels super like you don't end up actually learning what he does because you kind of ask him like hey what are you up to right now and he's like oh you know working for admiral hackett now like that's not an answer (laughs) doing what for admiral hackett he's just like stuff (laughs) and things yeah and and like the the big point of this one and, and again we've like beaten this horse to death already but uh, the whole thing with him having a baby uh, is really sweet unless you are a shepherd who romanced Jacob in the previous game and then it just kind of adds this one final layer of ug on top of it because yikes <laughs> and yeah but it, I will say that as someone who did not romance Jacob never has any intention of romancing Jacob or anything like that you know he's just a dude that was on my ship for a while it was kind of nice to be like, you know what, man? That's that's personal growth. You know, you're you're making an effort. You don't want to be like your dad. I understand that that's his like story beat. Even though not being like his dad just means like not mentally enslaving people when you crash land on a planet for 15 years. But low bar. It's a it's a really low bar you're clearing here, Jacob. I feel like. He, only room to climb higher and higher there but no nowhere to go up (laughs) yeah yeah you have to do pretty (laughs) crash land on a planet and mentally enslave people for 16 years and then we'll talk about you being worse than your father um i just think like it like it wasn't clear in the the actual jacob mission it's very clear in this this set of dialogue that 
Bioware was just done with his character. They just it, mm-hmm. it I, again, I can't claim to know what happened in the Bioware's office, but like if the the dialogue just feels very phoned in, like they don't like you said, there's like there's not even a concrete description of what he's doing to help the war, which is unlike <laughs> literally anybody else in this game. I mean, if you I don't want know. like if you want a very obvious like compare and contrast for how much not just bioware i think but i mean some of it was probably in response to how fans glommed on to certain characters versus how they didn't but uh just look at how much of a role jacob has in mass effect 3 versus how much of a role miranda has yeah. these are two like characters the... who started out ostensibly on the same kind of level right. they were the ashley and caden of their games and then one is hugely like integral to the plot and has all this stuff and even when you go into the dlc and like i was really surprised by how much miranda stuff there was in the citadel dlc and also how well Mm -hmm. done it was uh compared to jacob who again like i hate to be drawing all these citadel comparisons because we're not there yet in the playthrough technically but it was just kind of this like reinforcing a lot of thoughts i already had in my mind where it was like jacob gets like one scene that also has very little exposition or explanation for it and (laughs) Like, um, it you just kind of get the sense that like, I think even Bioware kind of realized that they were like, okay, people did not really gel with this character. Maybe we like for the next game we tone them back, but then Miranda, for whatever reasons, you know, because she was a good character, because you thought her pixels were sexy, like you know, a lot of people loved Miranda, so let's make sure we elevate her up a little bit. Um, I guess to be fair, she was always kind of a more central character to that plot, just because she was you know the character that resurrected Shepard and all that. But um, it is just like a stark contrast between the two that really right. tells all of it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, speaking of Miranda, like we we can talk about her. Yeah, we can just talk about Miranda well. right now. Um, yeah, we get... I'd love to talk about Miranda. Let's do it. Yeah. So we got one last check in with Miranda here before the big. Miranda stuff that's coming up uh and we get kind of another option to help her out or not help her out I'm trying so one of them is you give her funding and then one of them is you give her access to stuff this is the give her access to stuff one I believe Mm -hmm. because I think funding was the previous one uh and again this is like another thing where it's like you do you trust her like and and she's basically like I can't tell you what this is for that's how like secretive this is you have to know like how important this is to me I wouldn't ask you if I didn't feel this way. And I kind of like this because it is kind of reinforcing that idea that Miranda was the character that had one of the most lasting effects on Shepard from Mass Effect 2. And Mm. I'm just constantly surprised, and maybe it's because I'm seeing it through a different lens, uh, because, you know, I'm a female Shepard, so there isn't, like, the tie-in of... You know, if you were a male shepherd, you might start getting like flirty options and stuff like that, where there's kind of this weird undertone to it. But because it's two women who are not like in a romantic entanglement and stuff like that, they're just two, like, <laughs> as is later said, two space divas. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Like, we're going to talk so much about those scenes. <laughs> it's, uh, you just get this sense that it's like they've developed this sort of bond through the things that they've been through and that that is held up even between you know like the distance and stuff like that because you have like we've already talked a lot about like the catch-up session that you have with her and how 
she's very much you know other squad mates are like yeah i need your help with this thing but she's like no i got it handled like don't worry about me yeah. i've got my stuff taken care of and then when she does ask you for something she's not asking you to like go on a mission or something like that she's just like i just need these things you can trust me i promise you it's going to be all right like i can handle it like it's it's a level of like a mature enough relationship that's so different f- and, and also like less gamified than all the rest mm-hmm. of these uh relationships are that just changes the overall tone and really like made me start to appreciate Miranda a lot more as a character in the series than I did when I played it previously yeah and I mean she's also got like in the same conversation where she finally like apologizes outright for because like I mean in Mass Effect 2 she mentions that she wanted to like put like a mind control chip into Shepard like Mm -hmm. upon bringing them back and here's the part where she not only like frames it more as like a confession of this is what I wanted to do and having dealt with both like the stuff like with Oriana in two but also like the stuff that she's dealing with in three like in trying to like pursue her dad and stop what he's doing um she's like I was no better than him in that situation and this is my chance to not only you know be forthcoming about what I was wanting to do and where that probably was coming from but also to apologize for it and you know growth motherfucker yeah it's it's really well written all these little interstitials you get with Miranda leading up to her big moment that I think end up giving that a much greater emotional impact than it would have been for you know otherwise because then it, otherwise it would have just been like oh yeah there's a character from Mass Effect 2 and oh yeah, she might be in trouble and stuff like that but like having all this stuff and how well it was written how good all these little bits are um yeah. it's yeah it's this is in the same way that you could tell when there was somebody who really cared when they were writing about Zaid, there was one person who really cared about Miranda and yeah. they wrote all the dialogue scenes and they did a very good job about it. Um, like, I, like, I mean, we talk a lot about like Morden and Thane and Legion and like, you know, looking back on Mass Effect 3, but I think Miranda as this sort of like an enigmatic constant of the whole game is like, and you know, when we'll get to the, you know, where it all comes to a head at the very end. I just... And I feel we'll like Miranda's a very underrated character in Mass Effect 3. I think we'll be talking about this very soon, Kenneth, <laughs> near the end of the episode. So let's save a little bit of content for that. Um, Fair enough. Uh, we also have a little chat with Tally here. Um, a nice little... This is... I, I like her Presidium bit because it is very tiny. Again, it is very minor, but it is uh, a reminder of... It actually reminded me of... I think it was a Mass Effect 2... Uh, just side event, I wouldn't even really call it a mission, where you stumble upon a uh, a Citadel, a CSAC guard being extremely racist mm-hmm. towards a Quarian character, and yeah. Avolus basically like accusing her of thievery when she did not steal at all. And you kind of get the sense, you start to understand like how the Citadel and how a lot of other races view Quarians. And you see a lot of that in Mass Effect 2, but seeing it here with Tally where she's an admiral and she's like confronting a Turian who once called her a suit rat and stuff like that, like mm. you, I think you start to see the growth in her as well. The fact that mm. she's kind of like risen above, I mean, yeah, you can be like, you know, I, I'll go beat him up for you if you want. And, and she'll be like, no, like, don't do that. Like, she's she's above all of it. And I think that's like... Mm. If, if you had not, I, I mean, by the point I had this dialogue, I think I had not done Rannoch yet, so it is kind of like a pr- uh, prelude to that, because uh, I think I had to, like, go back to the Citadel for something, so I had this before I did the the end of the stuff at Rannoch, and 
is kind of a prelude to that that she's like become more accepting of other races because she can better view how her own treatment was just guided by misunderstanding and and mm-hmm. and maybe her own views on other people are the same it's it, it's a nice little moment i kind of wish there had been maybe a little bit more personal stuff i bet you probably get that if you romance tally but yeah uh then again tally has some very good more personal moments in the ranox stuff that we just talked about so uh it, it evens out a little bit but again this this does feel a little bit more like it's not quite as memorable as say shooting the the, the bottles off the top of the citadel or anything like mm. that like it's i would say that tally's like kind of equivalent moment to that comes after uh the miranda stuff that happens later mm. in a few missions i'm gonna be interested to see that thing because i'm about to get to that stuff in my own playthrough and i'm i was almost considering just streaming me playing the end of mass effect 3 as well but I don't know if I want to do that because, like, streaming, streaming stuff, I have to kind of like view it in a different way because I'm trying to like interact with the stream a little bit. Even though I mm-hmm. felt like for a lot of Citadel, I was not like by the time I got to the party and stuff like that, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like have a good time and let the let the party like run itself. I'm not gonna sit here like trying to commentate everything. Uh, but there were definitely parts where I was like, I should be talking right now because I'm in a stream and stuff like that. I did not have my full attention in the game, so maybe I want to spend mm-hmm. maybe I want to spend the next playthrough of this ending a little bit that because i've not seen this ending in a while and have not seen the extended cut either and just kind of preparing myself for that and all that entails mm. before we get there before we even get to the ending of this show we got one more uh liara's dad i get dad liara liara's other asari parent that there's like a conversation about this yeah she's so very adamant I, she is her father i am in i'm in the blind about this because this is a conversation that i've tried to kickstart and i think once you get past a certain point in the story you just don't have it anymore which again really sucks if you have romance liara and would like to see this content because that would be content that a liara romancer would like to see so i'm in the dark here i know a little bit about some of this stuff as far as the fact that liara's dad comes from a krogan relationship so there's like krogan blood in there Mm-hmm. yeah quarter krogan. Fourth krogan um and you you have some interesting discussion about her relationship with benezia and all that but um i kind of want to hear your take on this ken because obviously i'm in the in the dark for a lot of this so okay for those that don't know uh do you do you know who matriarch athena was the bartender in omega and math or not, not omega ilium in math Effect 2 um yeah, I mean, she's the one that you can, like, talk to, and she's got, like, all the old stories and stuff like that. I remember you telling me when we were doing this that she was, that was that character, that that was Liara's dad. Yeah. So, she's, like, a very, sort of, um, deadpan and smartass, kind of, like, yeah. not at all, like, Liara, like, you know, the apple can sometimes fall she's, very, 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 very not, far from the tree. I mean, definitely a far reach from, like, Liara on Mass Effect 1 where she was very like naive and she was very uh, followed convention you would not imagine her like busting a bottle over somebody's head in the middle of a party whereas like her dad would totally do that so yeah so the setup is that the reason that she was the bartender on Ilium and why she has moved to the Citadel is because she as a matriarch has been 
assigned is probably not the right word, but like the matriarchs are wanting somebody to watch Liara because of her influence and her power. As, like she just refers to her as an information broker. I don't think it's aware that it, she is actually the shadow broker. So the reason that Athena has been kind of following Liara around is because like, she wants to be sort of like somebody that is sympathetic to Liara that is not going to rein her in. Hmm. Or, like, I think there's even a reference to, like, the other uh, matriarchs might, might, like, want to put a hit on her, Liara because they fear she might be too dangerous. So, that is why she's kind of, like, been more or less following Liara around the galaxy. And you get you get a, a sort of, um, it's not really a, a sorry biology lesson, but more like a lesson that, like, she, 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 the first thing that happens is like she refers to herself as Liara's father. Mm-hmm. And Shepard, being a human, is like, oh, I, you mean her other mother, right? And she's like, no, I didn't pop her out. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. If, if you're human, you would both be considered the mother. And she's like, well, I'm not human, am I? Anthropocentric bag of dicks. <laughs> so she's like an incredibly underrated character because like there's a, that wit that is just like yeah. so quick. And. If it's funny because like after you kind of talk to each other and figure out what the situation is Shepard can go over to Liara and be like hey that's your dad you should probably go talk to her and first Liara will be like if I like actually have a relationship with this person the matriarch might send somebody else that's not as not as receptive to my receptive and lenient activities yeah <laughs> yeah and then Shepard can just kind of be like uh no go go over there right now and so they do it and then like they the sort of like culture shock is very apparent because Liara is the Liara we know and love versus this person who is very clearly raised by a Krogan. Yeah. Uh, so there's like there's this battle of wits and totally like complete opposite ends of the spectrum of that species. And like I'm gonna I appreciate look this it scene because up, don't worry. I'm going to watch this. Yeah, movie. like you like even if it's not like for the the show, like, you, it is something worth watching to the person that is in a romance with Liara, somebody that cares about that character. Because, like, you get, like, all these little tidbits about not necessarily Liara's past, but, like, the circumstances that brought her to where she was when she was born, which was uh, Athena and Benezia split apart because they both were, uh, they weren't agreeing on, like, the, basically the future of the Asaris, uh, like, where they should go in terms of uh, Benezia wanted alliances, Athena wanted more, like, they started to be, like, more of a, uh, not a warmongering race, but just like more of a, like a military presence in the galaxy, mm. and how these things resulted in them splitting up, and why it's why Liara never met her, and so like, it's just a, I like I wish that there was some equivalent for like a Caden romance because like I would I would love to meet Caden's mother, I would love to learn like it's like the equivalent of sort of like you know going to your significant other's house and seeing their baby pictures and like learning where how they grew up and how they got <laughs> to where they were, yeah. And like I like I it is a really a huge shame that it is so missable because I know I did not find it my very first ever playthrough like I had to find out about it later and then in my next playthrough like make sure that I found it. In, in some ways, like it does bum me out that a lot of this stuff is so missable. There is like an allure to it of it being like oh you'd have to play your cards just right and do all this stuff, but at the same time like it, we do kind of lament it here when we're like yeah you know. I didn't have Kasumi for Citadel. That sucked. Like, um, so I I don't know. I I don't think there's a perfect answer to that, but I I think there is like a visible benefit from the fact that you can't miss recruiting 
initially recruiting, let's say, any of the characters in Mass Effect 3, because it ends up letting you just have all these characters present all the time, and I think there's only yeah. one that you can have die before, like, the end of the game, end of the game, so uh, you end up with a crew that feels way more cohesive, and I feel like that's a start with it, is the idea that you can have all these characters around, but also just, like, yeah, stuff like that, you know, maybe I would have liked maybe just a little bit more of an indicator maybe like an email that was like hey you know i'm that bartender from ilium come chat with me sometime and that would have like yeah. driven me to go seek that out and all that um you know just a little stuff but that sounds like a really a conversation worth finding too so maybe it's just like a nice little easter egg certainly didn't affect my overall enjoyment of the game uh, yeah. so before we get to the final bit of tonight, uh, we do want to shout out. We have a new patron at the shout out tier on our Patreon. So thank you, Ruben Vanderlung. I hope that I got that right, Vanderloon. Um, I, if I got that wrong, please email us and get mad at us. <laughs> get mad at him uh, specifically. Yeah, get mad at me specifically uh, because at I myself, Van Allen. You know, I have I have a van name as well. I shouldn't be messing those up. Uh, we want to shout you out. Thank you so much for supporting. You are also at the question asking regiment bracket, whatever you want to call it. So if you want to send us questions to answer about Mass Effect, about games, about whatever, you know, like we do some light screening just to make sure nobody's asking us any trolly or overly personal questions. Sorry, I'm not going to tell you what my address is or anything like that, but... Um, let me tell you my social security number. Yeah, let me tell you what uh, my mother's maiden name is. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but we do love to talk about all things Mass Effect and gaming and RPG related on here. So, anytime you want to send those over, send them on uh, to that email. And for those of you who want to do the same, you can just head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and you can support us at the tier that will let you do that. Or you can support us at the tier that just gets you a shout out like this every week. That will be every week that he gets that shout out. Uh, we had other people who used to get shoutouts. They don't anymore. You should you should fix that up. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but we do have. I wanted to do something. This was something we had talked about earlier in the series. I want to say maybe even around like Mass Effect Two, like the end of Mass Effect Two, was when the first like inkling of this popped up. But uh, Ken and I have often thought about you know who are our favorites. Uh, shipmates, companions, uh, crew members among the Mass Effects, and luckily we found a website. Thank you, Mass Effect Care Sorter, as in character. Dot uh, Tumblr. Dot com. Uh, if you search for Mass Effect Sorter, you will probably find it right away. Uh, which does the little thing of like pick who you like more, and uh, it will eventually create a sorted list for you. So we thought it would be fun to do this. And uh, it results in a 19-entry list of all the... I did notice this after we did this. Uh, these are only characters that can go into battle with you. So this does not include, say, Trainer or Cortez or characters like that. Uh, I think that would have added some extra wrinkles to this list. But I thought Ken and I could go back and forth trading up our list of 19. And then I think some of them pretty early on, we don't got to say too much. But I think when, once we get into the top five, we'll be elaborating a little bit more. Uh, so I will start. Uh, Ken, my number 19 what was... Is, what, what did you like? Oh, so are we going to go back and forth? Or? Yeah, we can just go back and forth. Okay. Uh, okay. Ken, my number 19 was Jacob. Same. 
yeah, uh, I think everyone knows why. <laughs> we have we've done an adequate job of explaining that. Uh, if you do not know why, please go back and listen to any of our episodes featuring Jacob. <laughs> um, Ken, my number eighteen was Zaid. Mm, okay. Okay. What was your What was your eighteen? Are we finally differing? Ashley. Ashley. Okay. Ashley Williams. Wow. Yeah. So your your opinion has not changed on Ashley given all the Mass Effect three you've played so far. Nah. It's if anything, it's maybe gotten worse. Just huh. like. Because like I mean we talked about it we talked about it on the coup episode where like I feel like that character hit a wall two games ago and never got over it. Mm. I can I can understand that. Ken, my number seventeen was James. So was mine. Again, we know why this is. I do think uh, I I would even say at number seventeen we start getting into the point where. Uh, I, there there are aspects of James I like. He I, I love mm-hmm. that he makes huevos rancheros after the Citadel party. It's the best. <laughs> um, and he, he has funny moments and stuff, but I think like his best stuff just does not peak like other characters do. It also peaks kind of late. And for yeah, the most part, he's just... Yeah, it comes the very, very end. Yeah. Uh, oh, I have another tie, but I'm going to consider this uh, ordered. Actually, I'm going to flip the order because I would flip these around but uh my number 16 is javik oh wow okay what was your number 16 well i would say like that's just that seems a little low to me but um my 16 was zaid zaid okay yeah obviously mm-hmm. like zaid we've talked about javik um i just i keep thinking about it and as much as i like him as a character that is like the prothean out of time and that's interesting a lot of his jokes just kind of end up being like, I remember when all of you ate shit and stuff like that. And like, that's funny the first time, but like, I especially noticed it when I was playing some of the DLC that I was like, that's his only joke. And it's getting less and less funny because you're realizing that it's not like a haha and more like a, no, this dude is actually just sees all of you as incredibly beneath him. And he might be a little racist. <laughs> it's like, did, I, it kind of lost so, some of its funny edge, and I was like, "Oh, this is getting kind of weird now." It's like this is getting awkward. Like, my, I would say like the one scene of Javik when like he is a little bit higher than where you got him. Have you gotten to his last scene yet? I think I'm still working. I need to double check because before I go on the last mission, I was going to do one more tour of the Citadel and then one more tour of like the ship just to make sure I wasn't leaving any mm-hmm. dialogues on the table. Uh, I think I've gotten all the way through his stuff because I think all his stuff is just on the ship except for that one where there's like the fans and all that that we talked about uh, or not the fans like just the people who are like oh my god it's a Prothean on the Citadel um, but even then I, I I just didn't like any of his stuff and I feel like that just got reinforced playing this I feel mostly the same as you but for me Javik's like most important stuff to me is those like that last conversation on the ship, and then the result of it in London, like where you talk about, like, because like Javix can, like, he can go in one of the diff- several different he ways. It's kind of, it's kind of a Garrus situation where his outlook can kind of change depending on, like, the responses yeah. that you have. Yeah. Okay. And I've never seen so, the results of that because I've only obviously okay. ever played Mass Effect three one time. So maybe, maybe there's like All some right. interesting nuance there. Um, did we? Yeah, yours was Zaid. So my number 15 is Edie. That's low too, okay. I did not like Edie in this game, and I just, I kept mm. feeling like, 
I almost like Edie more in Mass Effect 2 than Mass Effect 3. Because I felt like mm. she was kind of this interesting character in Mass Effect 2, and like it was kind of cool having the disembodied robot voice and all that. But the second, like, again, like we're just going back to it, and it, I felt like it got like super reinforced again playing the DLC, but even like some of the the missions and and the the Joker romance stuff was all just kind of like, oh, everybody's making the sex bot joke again, and <laughs> like there, it just felt like a lot of the material around her was very tired and and not very thought out and the the stuff that did shine again just they were there were high points and i just felt like they didn't match up to the low points and and ultimately like I, it, it led to me like not wanting to take her on missions because i'd rather just take other people on missions i felt like the only time i ever took Edie was when i was specifically like oh i haven't taken Edie in a while and i should probably bring her along just to remember what she does and like as a combat character i don't think she's that interesting either so it's it's just a whole lot of her being in a body did not add a lot to the game for me versus her being in the computer. So, uh, was it was your 15? Uh, it was Kasumi. Kasumi. Okay. Well, we can talk about that because my 14 is Kasumi. Um, okay. Yeah. I like Kasumi a little bit more because she's got kind of like this badass hacker vibe going on. And I think her mission in two was very, very good. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. that the end choice of it was a very interesting one that while ultimately meaningless still like kind of posed an interesting quandary to the player. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, she, she just manages to break through the sort of like DLC restrictions yes. of that game way more than like, cause like, cause we have like a very charming personality and an excellent like performance from, mm-hmm. from the actress where, I mean, you know, we like I mean, not not to say that the actual performance isn't good, but like the actual quality of the writing is not there to make any of the performances stand out. Where Kasumi, through the very bare minimum that she has given, has moments to stick out. Mm-hmm. What what was your number fourteen? Uh, Samara. Samara. Okay, so you did not like Samara as much as I did. Clearly, uh-huh. no. I think a lot of that just comes from she only gets like the smallest of edges above Jacob in terms of like how much she's actually given in Mass Effect 3. You know, I like the monastery mission on a fair bit, but I don't feel like Samara even adds much to it. Mm-hmm. Ken, I will tell you right now that uh, this should have been as high, because I'm pretty sure I hit that I like both of them equally at this spot, and I think that's where I would put them as a conglomerate, but my number 13 is Caden. <laughs> I know. You gotta, you gotta look at this as... This is reflective of my playthrough of this game, where Caden died mm. in Mass Effect 1. <laughs> so I've had very so. little experience. I will say that what you have told me of Caden pretty much ensures that my next playthrough of Mass Effect will have me leaving Ashley's sorry ass on Vermeer, <laughs> Uh Because I am interested to just see, like... I'm interested to see what his non-romantic... Uh, interactions are like in Mass Effect 3 because I I think I'd always written him off as either he was a character you romance and if you didn't romance him you left him on Vermeer like that was how I had always kind of viewed him mm. and so just hearing that he has good interactions and good commentary and stuff like that outside of being just the human that lived <laughs> um, that's that alone has me like interested enough and like yeah you know I, I I've been very open about the fact that I kept Ashley on my squad because I knew that you were going to bring Caden along on yours, and I did not want to miss miss out on the Ashley dialogue. That being said, uh, I would put Ashley in that same 
ranked number 13 she ended up at 12 here for some reason i must have like clicked something at some point that put her over that but um i i did end up liking her character arc a little bit more here in mass effect 3 i i think that she maybe has not changed much as a character but she's a little bit more receptive and at the end of the day that's just like you you take the inches as you go and she still has some very some very heartwarming moments uh, especially with femship uh that i did not experience the same of as a male ship where again it like harkens back to the space diva stuff though not nearly well as well done as the (laughs) the namesake but uh i did i did the point i'm at in mass effect 3 i'm like i don't necessarily love ashley uh and i would still leave her sorry ass on vermeyer but her presence is not actively ruining the mood of the party uh for from my playthrough uh so you're you're number 13 because we went through jack. two of my picks here <laughs> so yours was javik here um no jack oh jack Ooh, mm-hmm. jack this far down it's nothing really changed for yeah. you with jack either yeah like jack and i have always just had a very like i absolutely prefer her mass effect 3 but it's and like i and i get you know that that is the point of her role in that game it's like see how far she has come but it's like by that point like she and i aren't hanging out all the time so i don't really get to Mm -hmm. experience that change all the time it was one of the things of like you ever see somebody like from high school that you haven't spoken to in years but like you see them they're in a better place than they were back then and you're just like you go like you don't necessarily like want to get reinvolved in their life but you're like happy that they're moving on and stuff like that yeah yeah Yeah, okay exactly okay i get you exactly then what was your number 12 uh, Javik. Ja- okay, there's your Javik. Okay, so yeah. you like Javik a little bit. And like bit. I said before, it's it's a little bit... It's it's very, like... That character at the, at the 11th hour oh. becomes very, very interesting to me. I have a funny feeling that our number 11 might be the same, just the way that this is starting to shake out. Uh, my number 11's Grunt. So was mine. Look at that. I feel like... It was funny, as I was going through this, I kind of realized... You know how when you're kind of doing this sort of ranking thing and they're moving, like, you and I have done this with the Marvel movies and things like that. You kind of realize that there's one that's kind of your bar for whether something is good or bad. Yeah. Uh, Grunt was that bar. (laughs) Grunt. Like, that is my my even The the divider of the tiers. Yeah, that that was the divider of the upper echelon and the lower echelon for me, and Grunt was a solid middle. I don't feel like there is any particular thing about grunt that particularly stands out to me but i also feel like there's nothing that actively makes me dislike him and he has some Mm. he has some good moments like there was the part in citadel with falling out the side of the hospital that just made me like really crack up laughing like that was that was great like he they find some moments there i don't think he's as solid as another krogan but uh he definitely has his moments uh, and he, he was the first character to make me cry in Mass Effect 3. There you so. go. He he has he holds that respect. Uh, my number 10 was Samara. Uh, I was really mm-hmm. affected by her Mass Effect 2 loyalty mission this time around. I do think that Mass Effect 3 kind of let the ball down. But she still has some good moments uh, in, in DLC and when she shows up again and all that. So uh, I ended up overall, like, I, I, I think if I made this list before we did this podcast samara would be much lower down the list she's one Mm -hmm. of the characters that i felt really jumped up 
Uh, there are about like three yeah. characters uh, in total that would have been below the top ten that jumped into the top ten for me uh, in this playthrough, and mm-hmm. Samara was one of them. Uh, what was your number ten? My number ten was Edie, and I appreciate a lot of the things that she goes through in Mass Effect 3, despite all my issues that I've ever listed in the show. Um, I, I did absolutely prefer her as you know the disembodied voice mm-hmm. that she was in Mass Effect 2, and in the event that like I could you know be in the Bioware's writers' room and maybe like altered the course of how the characters go, I probably would have done it. Like, and it, I don't think she needed a body to go through a lot of the same decisions and arcs that she went through. Um, I, I feel like the body was just an excuse to like have the Joker relationship make sense in some way, which it still does not. But um, like, I think from like just an actual character perspective, I really like a lot of stuff that she goes through in Mass Effect Three. Mm-hmm. Even though she get, she got titties now, <laughs> she she got them. Uh, my number nine in that respect uh, was Legion. So it was mine. Uh, I, f- I I felt really weird about this one because at the beginning I was like, oh, you know, I love Legion. And the more I thought about it, the more I liked Legion for what his story ultimately became, not necessarily for who he was as a character, because that was kind of the point. Like his character was not necessarily the most in-depth character but he was representative of a larger shift and a larger plot line Mm -hmm. and so while i don't enjoy his character as much as others on this list i still definitely enjoyed uh like what he represented for the direction of the larger narrative Mm -hmm. and he does he he still has a couple moments you know i mean he's literally like if you want to like dig into the 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 lore of it legion is not a person until he's about to die Mm mm-hmm uh my number eight was jack okay i i really jack was another one that rocketed up into the top 10 for me that would have been possibly one of the lowest on this list uh prior to doing this podcast but i really just i i got more out of her development in this one this time around uh i i enjoyed her mass effect 3 stuff a lot more especially like again i think a lot of the dlc stuff really helps give her more of a character uh on top of that and Mm -hmm. Uh, I, it's just a really it's it's a heartwarming they make use of every scene that she's in and i feel like a lot of mass effect 2 characters especially benefit from that that because they're not showing up as squad mates uh they it seemed like bioware is kind of like okay when we're gonna have these certain characters in here we got to make sure that their scenes have that much more oomph to them because you've got to still have that emotional attachment to them when you get to the end and you're going through all that stuff but you're not you, you don't have the time spent with them that you do with garris or liara so you, mm. we need to add that little bit of extra oomph every time the character's on screen and i feel like jack was one of the ones that benefited the most from that especially with the grissom academy stuff right. uh, what was your number eight so i feel like these next three for me are like could have shifted into any or on any given day um the ranking as i've got it right now my number eight is miranda mm-hmm. um who like we I mean, we just talked about how great she is in Mass Effect Three and how she is you know I she is one of those characters that like my Shepherd and her are on a very similar wavelength and so like I've you know technically you know at the very beginning of her relationship is supposed to be very standoffish but you know by the end it's like you two like you get me like I I like that there's that dynamic of between her and my Shepherd of people that you know they're willing to do whatever they got to do to get things done but they got they got that you know they're warm and fuzzy on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I feel very confident in all my picks leading up to this. My top 10 is, like, it's actually my bottom, like, half that I feel could fluctuate on any given day, but I feel like my top 10 is just locked in. Um, my number 7 is Thane. Uh, okay. Thane, I feel like, has always hovered around this area for me. Um, I definitely like his story. I think he's a very interesting character. I feel like there's always maybe a little bit more that could have been done with his character to really just take it over the top for me. But I know other people really, really like his character and, and who he is, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't even ask that of them because I'd rather they keep that than try and satisfy my weird desires for what a Mass Effect character is. So. Um, but ultimately, yeah, like Thane is definitely in the upper echelon of characters for me. I think he ultimately suffers from the fact that he ends up being maybe the least impactful in terms of narrative, at least until his big moment in Mass Effect 3. But in, in like Mass Effect 2 and even in the beginning of Mass Effect 3, it feels like he has very little impact in the larger scale of things. And so uh, he ends up feeling like a much lesser character for it. And then when he does suddenly jump into the spotlight it's this very massive you know escalation from he was this background character who you just kind of had some side stuff with to now he is like very much at the forefront he's got this big moment finally happening and and while it's extremely well done uh i think even probably the first time i played it i was like wow they really made a big deal about thane there and now like the second time playing it, i'm like oh god thane (laughs) (laughs) um and i think that's just you know it's for characters later on in this list they were characters that ended up having a much more prominent role in the main story while still having their their notes of both high and low and i felt like thane was Mm. too many subtle notes with not enough big notes to kind of lead up to that big finale and that's maybe what holds him back from breaching into my top five here uh what's your number seven Uh, my number seven is liara okay okay That, that, that does not surprise me that 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 is about where I thought you were going to put her at. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, it, it's, it's, like, the top ten is where it gets, like... These are all great. It's, like, so Lyra's, like, a shorter giant at this point. Like, I, she's a character who I adore. I've adored since the beginning. But, you know, looking at the list of the characters above her, it's, like, couldn't couldn't put her up above these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say my number six, and this might surprise you, uh, is Rex or not Rex coming mm, in at number okay, six? Okay. Uh, and this is maybe more reflective of just me being like, yeah. By the time you get to number three, you know he has great moments, uh, arguably some of the best he has in the entire series, and he has incredible growth as a character. But what kept him out of the top five was just the feeling that he was kind of relegated to this side role by the end of it, and also he doesn't get as many. I would say, like, emotional moments as he does in, like, Matt. When I think of Rex and, like, Rex's best moment, it's when he pulls a gun on you in Mass Effect 1 and says, like, they're curing the disease that is destroying my people in there and you want me to go in there and help you stop it. Like, Mm. what the hell are you talking about, Shepard? And and that was, that's the part that always sticks out to me because that's that moment between these two where you really understand how much this conflict means to Rex and and mm. you haven't had a sense for it until now and by the time you get to mass effect 3 rex is largely the character that just kind of swings and is like i'm gonna do crazy grogan stuff and blow things up and i'm or not rex get off my fucking planet ah. and like um and 
I, 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 I don't know about that. I, I just did not get the same, like, sort of... And granted, we're talking, like, he's number six on my list. He's above 13 other characters. There are only five above him uh, by slim margins, I would say. But I do feel he comes in very solidly at a number six for me just because... Uh, He's he's kind of my pal around buddy, but I just feel like he never hit some of the emotional depth as the series went on. I felt like his his deeper moments as far as a companion were earlier in the series compared to later. That's just my opinion though, so. Mm. Uh, what was your number 6? Gareth Vicarian. Whoa! Spicy <laughs> I know, take. like the hottest of hot takes. About yeah. to, we're both putting some spicy takes in number six. I like this. Okay, why is, why is Gareth not making top five? The main reason is the other five above him are one character, and the other four are my primary squad mates of the Mastic series. Oh, okay. So they've all got, like, you know... On top of like their their character moments from the ride, etc., like they are the ones that were by my side through all of it. So that I think is like the the thing that puts all of them above him because Garrus was sort of like when it came to like having a squad mate, he was the person that was he was my interim squad mate. Like he was the person that was there until I got this other person. So, but you know, fucking Garrus Vicarian, my favorite squad in Citadel, my best friend in Citadel. Mm-hmm. He he definitely has that high right there. Yeah. Uh, my number five, and this is maybe the largest jump a character has made on my list, uh, is Miranda. Uh, mm, okay, I really, okay. I Mass Effect three especially. I mean, even Mass Effect two, but I feel like the change in somehow the change from male ship to fem ship just really completely changed my perspective mm-hmm. on Miranda. For sure. And uh, I just her her character is awesome, man. She gets like great moments. She has a lot of. I think in two, she kind of had the issue of they always wanted to, you know, like frame her ass in every shot and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I think by three, she had a lot more, um, she was treated much more as a character and they kind of used that as a gimmick, uh, less often. And you get a lot more just really good moments with her. And obviously she plays a huge part near the end. And I think the way they ramp up to that is very well done as we were talking about this episode. I'm looking forward to talking about the the culmination of that stuff. But I really, yeah, like you mentioned, I just felt like Miranda ends up becoming this... She is the one of the only characters, I would say maybe the only character in Mass Effect 2, who really ends up feeling as core to your squad as some of the Mass Effect 1 characters do. Because mm-hmm. even characters that we're like literally about to talk about are maybe more important in the grander scheme of things, but don't necessarily feel as much of a member of your longtime crew like like an old friend as miranda ends up somehow ends up feeling by mass effect 3 so mm. uh i really appreciated that it was it was a nice it, it, you know part of that is also flavored by the fact that i just had a new appreciation of her in this game so maybe that's just inflating that a little bit but i did really enjoy her character uh this playthrough so mm. uh what was your number five thane Krios. thane yeah he's our boy so yeah, like you talk about how, like it was. It took your second playthrough for Thane to like reach that point where like the death affected you in the same way. Thane was like my ride or die in Mass Effect Two. Like he was like it, like before the game even came out. Like I saw him. Like I saw his uh, reveal scene in like a trailer, and I was like, that dude's on my squad. That is a guy that is gonna go with me everywhere. And he was like throughout that entire game. Like he was like my mainstay. Like even 
like, t- like Tally was a later character that came in my other part of my squad, but, like, Thane was one of those, like, like, if I was forced, like, on a loyalty mission to take somebody, I was like, Thane's coming with me. Thane is, like, me, well, I mean, this is not a video podcast, but I'm crossing my fingers, so, like, Thane and my shepherd are like this. Like, they, uh-huh. they are people that, like, they, they stay up all night having, like, long philosophical talks about life. Thane is just, like, this really interesting, badass character that encapsulates what I want of, like, a guy that's got my back. And also, like, to this day, I, I mean, there are so many really affecting scenes in Mass Effect 3, but, like, Thane's death is, like, the one that will get me into at least tearing up every time. Like, years later. It's been seven years at this point. And I can go... I, I pull it up on YouTube now, and it will still get me. Well, Ken, speaking of deaths that get us to tear up, uh, my number four is Morden. Uh, mm. Man. And I would even say he almost edged his way over my number three just from the Citadel uh, stuff that was on there. Yeah. Because, oh my god. <laughs> Not only, like, it hits perfect, <laughs> like, emotional lows and then emotional highs all in, like, the span of a couple just audio bits. But even the fact that he's, he's two different voice actors for this character over the course of two games, you still end up with this character that feels like they have such an, a huge character arc of from when you first mm. recruit them to by the time that Morden eventually you know departs your squad. And uh, they're... I mean, he is just, he's the embodiment of, I, I think, like, this idea in Mass Effect that character, especially Mass Effect 2, because Mass Effect 2 is you're rounding up a lot of these ruffians, and they're they're less reputable, uh, not to say that the people you're recruiting in Mass Effect 1 were of particular aplomb, but, you know, you had, like, Alliance Marines and stuff like that, and, you know, some of your, some of the people fighting with you were, you know, maybe mercenaries or runaway Korean and stuff like that but then you had like a CSEC officer and all that whereas your Mass Effect 2 squad was like straight up criminals <laughs> and right. and also people that the universe like chewed up and spat back out and Morden was the ultimate culmination of the idea that this person could right the wrongs that they had done in their life and, and do it well and they also have all these just little moments you know like him singing is always a good one but he just has little little bits like him commenting on your romance interest and all that kind of stuff like it's he's just a very well-written character and the way that he gradually Mm -hmm. grows over the course of the series is just really a joy every time i play through it so yeah that's my number four what's your number four or not rex there's rex and yeah so i gotta say like i super like hardcore disagree with you about like the sort of i want to i want to hear it i want to hear it that like that he peaked in Mass Effect One because I feel like that is a character like Rex among characters like Morden, Tally and like you know a lot of Mass Effect One characters. That peak is like just the first like jolt upwards towards something that is going to take this character throughout the rest of the trilogy. Because like to me the biggest moments for that character is like I am or not Rex and this is my planet as he is bringing forward change for his people that has been centuries in the making and. Yeah, like, in Citadel, like, he can go from, like, this iconic figure in Krogan culture to being your guy who goes to the bar and complains that he's having, that he's drowning in pussy. So, like, yeah, he can be, like, you know, this very bro-ish character, but, like, the gravity of what he's doing is never lost on him. And it was, like, like we, I said in the back in the Vermeer episode, like, his the decision with him was more like this very turning point for my playing of the Mass Effect series, like... I can keep doing the bottom right dialogue option on the dialogue wheel, 
or I can start to, you know, really care about the way that all my decisions are going to start affecting things on a larger scale. So for me, like the, the Vermeer thing is like a turning point, not for only that character, but for my relationship with the Mass Effect series in general. Hmm. Yeah, I can see it. I th- I think with Rex, a lot of my stuff was just very, like I, a lot of it I had seen before, and so maybe that just affected my overall appreciation of him this time around. To where he could definitely like he used to easily be in my top three, um, but I, I felt like a lot of his stuff outside of maybe the Citadel stuff was was old hat um, that I'd already seen before, and I was like, I know who Rex is. I know you know was not did not feel as fresh or new to me. Um, and that was maybe also the reason why I put Liara at number three here. Um, and it was a very shaky number three, uh, because as much as I've, as I enjoyed Liara romances, I've already said in this episode, um, a lot of it felt very rote and vanilla. Um, it's weird to like have my number three be someone that I'm going to down talk, but, (laughs) um, that maybe just speaks to like how strong I think Liara's character is in general, that she is, she provides this, like, not just, in one and three she's very much like the narrative impetus character she is always the one that's kind of moving the plot forward um but i think i appreciate liara the most for her stuff in mass effect 2 uh when she's in ilium and lair the shadow broker especially like you she really gets time to shine as a character and also you get moments where if you are romancing her you get some of what i think is the best romance dialogue in the entire mass effect series um and, and you really get to like see what bioware can do when they've got this character that has had such an emotional arc and then has to come to bear with it and you're not just like you're not just spinning through like wheel after wheel and going through investigative choice you're like actually having these interrupts and you're having this conversation you're like it feels very natural in a way that i really appreciated and i think that liara is the only one of the few characters you could really do that with because she has such a large arc from going from this very naive you know dig site scientists to becoming the mm. freaking shadow broker <laughs> and it is still bonkers to see that but i think you get this really interesting arc of her going from there to that and she kind of swings back and forth in the dynamics but by the time you're in mass effect 3 she's very much like she's very matriarch like you know she is still mm. she still has her violent tendencies but uh it's much more reserved you can see her grow and mature throughout the series in a way that's really interesting uh so i still still like liara a lot just maybe not as much as my top two and so with that no mm-hmm. what's your top what's your three uh, my number three is morden solace there yeah because morden yeah so i it's it is a very bold claim to make but i still like i, I said it before this podcast ever like i've been saying it for years I would, if, like, a gun to my head, I had to, like, make a case for a character that I think is probably the best written in video games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Morden is, like, not that hard of a sell for me. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it is this, like, perfect arc of a character. And, like, and the cap-off of, like, I mean, unless you establish our secure, like, you're a monster. Like, from, like, beginning to end, nothing of that character is ever wasted. Every moment that he's in there matters, and you can see, like, it's not like a a switch is pulled, and suddenly he goes from changing his views from one thing to the other. You get to watch that character gradually become... I mean, it's not unlike... It's like he's a, a, 
a savior of like a whole people that he was ready to damn a game ago. Mm-hmm. There's like there are essays to be written about Morden Solis that somebody needs to make their senior capstone at and a university one day. Uh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's Morden. I mean, who could top Morden? At least for me, and this came up as a tie for me, Ken. I think on any given day this could change, but this is just what feels right to me today. Uh, my number two is Tally. Um, mm, so is mine. Yeah, Tally is just this incredible character. Uh, you see an incredible arc in her, the way that she grows throughout the series, the way that she... Um, I, I mean, we talk so much about it, like... It, it, to the point that we get disappointed when there's not as many good scenes as we want with Tally. And I mean, like, I feel like Rannoch was just this perfect capstone to the development of her character. Like, she's the one that you ever like to, when you read, like, a really long series or you watch a really long TV series or something, you think about, like, who a character was when they were first introduced versus what they mm-hmm. become at the end. Like, Tally was that character who was running from Saren's agents because she had information. She was just kind of this quarry and you were going to help out. And she was on her own. She had nothing to do. She was all by herself. And by the end of it, she's an admiral. And she's standing on her home world. And, like, she she has this incredible growth as a character. I think especially if you get the, the option that allows you to broker that piece between legion and tally are really between the quarians and the geth but uh you start to see that the way that she's just changed so much as a character and also like affected that change within the quarian people and she has some of the best missions i think in the game her loyalty mission in mass effect 2 is like Mm -hmm. a constant standout and it's she's just a great character i mean it's really hard to play this game and not just love her character because she is Mm -hmm. such an interesting character yeah. Um, I guess it's time for our number ones then. Ken, you you go first because <laughs> we know what it is. <laughs> it is Kaden Linko, and that is it. Just I would put him like alongside Shepard as like a character who is like they are both the center of this universe for me. Like from you know Eden Prime to London, like that character has informed not only my relationship with the Mass Effect, like my my character of Shepard, but just like you know, things about myself that came along with it, and it's, it's like, and you know, I've ranted about it on this, on the show, like, a lot of people don't ever get to see where he goes because it's just the way the cards were dealt, but, like, for, Mass Effect would have been an entirely different series for me if that character did not exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the, the greatest praise you could heap on a character is that this this entire series would not be as emotionally resonant for you if mm-hmm. they did not exist so like yeah <laughs> there was there was yeah. no doubt um for me it's garris i think it always mm-hmm. and even though i love tally a lot i think when i think of mass effect i always come back to garris i always come back to the scene on the top of the citadel this is my favorite mm-hmm. spot on the citadel like that is not that is not something you pull out of your ass that is a scene you earn and that is a scene <laughs> that only works if you've spent so long creating this character that is ride or die with Shepard, that is almost a foil to Shepard themselves because he he always ends up playing either, you know, 
your better devil or your better enabler because he is kind of on that rougher side of the law. He is that renegade. Uh, and so maybe that's why I always liked him is because he was the, the renegade to my paragon. But mm-hmm. uh, I did I did end up like getting to this point and being like, I kind of wish I had romanced Garrus because I kind of want to see what that stuff is like. Uh, I wish I had not fallen mm-hmm. into the the pitfall of romancing Liara like I always do because um, it, he's just such an interesting character. Like he has such an interesting uh, growth as a character. All of his dialogues are extremely memorable. He's you know he's got a lot of memes and stuff like that about calibrating cannons and all that, but he's also just got some very heartfelt moments where you get the sense of how far this guy's come and how hard he's fought and you know he wrestles with a lot of his demons and wears that on his shoulder and i just really appreciate that about his character he's he's a guy who wants to do right no matter what and while that doesn't always justify Mm. the means that he takes he still has his heart always in the right place so um yeah overall like i just it's the fact that like like you said you can't think of mass effect and not think of caden like i can't think of mass effect and not think of garrus like he is the first character i think of maybe even above shepherd when i think of this game because he is that central Mm -hmm. to the plot so that's our rankings man we did it we made the podcast extremely long in the process too which was the ultimate goal oh wow (laughs) yeah um (laughs) yeah so Oh, I got to make sure I pull up the right one because now we've got, yeah, now we've got two of these schedules in here because we're already working on planning Andromeda. Um, so this this next week, uh, we're very excited. We're going to have another guest on the show. Uh, one, Ginny Wu will be on uh, to talk Omega. We're bringing her on to talk all things. Lesbian divorce court. All things Arya and maybe one of my favorite mass effect three characters uh i will say that mm-hmm. if we had done that list and it included characters that are like major characters I, or, or even just like romanceable characters trainer would have done extremely well on my list mm-hmm. because trainer was definitely yeah. one of, and and cortez as well like both of them yeah. stuck out much more uh but also uh we get to talk to one of the coolest npcs in in mass effect 3 in this next one she is the bomb.com and i'm very much looking forward to it and also Ginny is the bomb.com and she'll be joining us uh we'll be recording that episode like early this week so i don't think yeah, so patrons might get it early yeah um, we don't have any plans on that yet we'll maybe let y'all know if that happens i mean y'all will see it go up on the patron feed but also we understand that some of y'all have podcast listening habits so we might not want to like jump it too far ahead in the queue um because then you'd be going a long while without hearing our our luscious dulcet tones and you can't have that because after omega we'll be going to the thessia planet slash the sanctuary of thessia or no no sanctuary is a different place why i i I was thinking i was thinking the the church place that you go to in thessia um because that's also like Mm. a sanctuary right i mean it's like an altar it's like but yeah. Sanctuary is a different place. So we'll be going to Thessia, and then that oh, that means I have to play some Mass Effect in the next week, because I'm not caught all the way out there yet. Um, and then after that, we'll have a couple more DLCs to chop off, including Citadel leading all the way up to August 14th, which is when we will be doing London. And, oh boy, we're getting, we're getting closer every day, Ken. We're getting closer yeah. every day, and it's very exciting. So until next time, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to our rankings. Hey, if you want to send us yours, shoot them on over. Well, 
always love to hear this stuff we love to hear from all you listeners out there all you patrons please share stuff with us we love it for Kenneth Shepard American Out thank you for tuning in we'll see you next time on Norm Diaz Norm Diaz Norm Diaz Norm Diaz Norm Diaz